You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Samantha Chris, and with me today is Solange Tuyashimi. Solange is an international speaker, a social entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. She is the president and CEO of Elevate International, co-founder of Nyla's Legacy, a UNICEF Canada ambassador, and the current Mrs. Canada World 2021. Solange, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This is actually a moment that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. The first time I heard you speak was at a women's conference, and I was so moved. And in the early days of dreaming of this podcast, your name was on my wish list there, front and center. And it's so great to finally be here with you today. Honestly, the pleasure is mine as well. You know, I remember hearing you speak and I was so amazed that you have, you decided that you wanted to write a book and you just did it. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, you know, I I was like, I want to be like her when I grow up. You know, sometimes whether you're younger or older than someone, but you see them how they go for it. And you really inspired me uh, that day. So I think the pleasure is also mine as well. I got a preview into your story of strength and resilience that day. And I have been loving seeing your journey unfold ever since. I saw an incredibly powerful yet gentle woman before me. And, and later learned that at the age of 11, you escaped from war and genocide in East Africa and moved to Canada. Not long before then, you were in a refugee camp scraping by on the bare minimum and forced to travel more than 10 kilometers in search of clean drinking water. What is it like revisiting those memories in contrast to where you are today? You know, I think for the early part of my life is it's probably something that I sort of put aside in my head because I wanted to, it's almost like when you're going through it, you genuinely want to just survive. Mm. So feeling the emotions takes space. So I avoided feeling those emotions and just focused on surviving. And for me, I feel that for the earlier part of my life, I was surviving and trying to figure out how do I live again? How do I find a new life? And it's only now as an adult that I'm starting to feel those feelings. And as much as when I was younger, I knew that the circumstances that I had lived were traumatizing and not okay and not acceptable. And which is why I advocate so much for children. But now as an adult, it becomes even heavier because you understand how it's real trauma that follows you for the rest of your life. So just being there as an 11-year-old and watching your world fall fall apart, losing family members, losing the only place you've ever felt loved and safe, to going into a middle of a chaos where you almost have nothing, it scars you. And you don't realize the impact it's going to have until later on as an adult on these sort of limited beliefs that are had uh, accumulated within me, uh, like 
you know, is there such thing as true happiness? Because when I was truly happy as a kid, then all of a sudden that was taken away. Then you start questioning whether happiness is really real. Mm -hmm. And then every time you're really happy, you're waiting for a catastrophe to happen. So I think now as I start becoming more aware of those emotions and those circumstances, um, also acknowledging that there's a place for healing, but in a way it's also made me this really beautiful leader that I am because everything that I do, I always consider how I make people feel. I always consider how it's going to make the world better. So it's, you know, it's been a, a trauma that has also led me to some of the most beautiful moments. And this is something, you know, making the world a better place that you talk about even in those earlier days when you're back in East Africa and, and maybe not fully understanding what was happening, but looking around and still thinking, what can we do to make this place better? And so, and these are things that you are now kind of putting into action as an adult, but did you have an idea then that you were going to be destined for big things? You know, I always say my, my vision. So I always remember as an 11 year old, I was standing in front of a door. Um, so where we were in uh, as refugees, there was our tent where we slept, but then there were also some, really nice people that didn't live, that lived across from where our tent were, was. And I remember standing in their door and I think one of the gentlemen there was a professor and he would often like, you know, quiz me on some things because at this time I wasn't going to school. But I remember standing in their door and looking at the circumstances in which we're living in, watching our tent right there. And as a family, that was our living room, our bathroom, like it was our everything, that one tent, that was it. Wow. And but I remember vividly having that image that one day I'll be standing in front of thousands and millions of people on a world stage and making them smile and inspiring them so that this will never happen to another child again. And I didn't even know what that meant, but that big vision of me standing on a stage in front of thousands and millions of people stayed with me forever. And I think it's, it's like, as a child, you just think, oh, you know, I was just dreaming of something, but I hung on to that. And every time an opportunity came along in my life where it was so easy for me to underestimate myself and think, oh, well, you know, I'm just a refugee or I'm just an immigrant or I'm just that vision of me standing on a stage will become so real that it would push me to actually say, oh, yes, I'm going to try or I'm going to go for it. Um, so I think it gave me more courage along the way. But I genuinely knew that the pain I had seen as an 11 year old, I never wanted more people to feel it, to experience it, or to even live it at all. Mm. You mentioned something that I think a lot of us can relate to, and it's almost this duality. And earlier you mentioned that there are moments of past trauma that are kind of manifesting as an adult now and, and you know, making you question everything. Is there true happiness? What does this mean? And then there's this part of you that has always known that this was something that you're capable of. And so how do you strike a balance? You know, how do you really find yourself in those moments where you do start to question, but you know that you have it in you? Oh, you know, and that's where I seem that dreams are so important and they're so valid because what's in your head can't be taken away. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
once you have that vision within you, you feel it and you know it's real. And then you slowly start making a difference between what the world is trying to tell you and what's genuinely true about you. And what's real about you are all these beautiful things that you think about and that you feel because I've realized that human beings, we are born as love and happiness and all these wonderful things. So to feel otherwise, it's a circumstance that's put upon us. So for me, I always have to go back to what do I deserve? I deserve to be happy. I deserve to find peace and I deserve to be loved. And when those emotions that I'm feeling or what I'm capable of is bringing all these things that I just mentioned, then I know it's possible. And then everything else, for example, trauma, it's not something I was born with. Nobody's born and just says, oh, like I'm in a war or genocide, or those are things that happen to us. Sometimes some people say for us or against us, but those are things that come and they happen in our lives but they don't define us. It's unfortunate that we go through them. But once we understand that those circumstances do not define us, then we focus on what genuinely defines us. And that's when you start thinking about, it's like what you would say, okay, Chris, what am I really good at? What do I do when it makes me happy and I feel alive? And you start, you know, those things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we deny ourselves of that pleasure. So I've started following the things that made me feel like I was alive. And also going through so many traumatic experiences, I wanted to be happy. And I had realized that the world is not going to bring you happiness, right? You're a child and you become an immigrant or a refugee, you experience war and genocide, et cetera, et cetera. The world often will bring you challenging circumstances. So if the world is not going to bring you happiness by itself, then that means that we have to create it. So our hardest job is to create that happiness, that love, that peace for ourselves. And we can only find it within. So I've started digging deeper within me to really understand what I deserve and what I should go for based on how it makes me feel. And when it really makes you feel amazing, you know that's where you belong. You know that's where your calling is. Mm, You speak like such a leader. I mean, you embody it in every sense of the term. I can feel it in the tone of your voice. I can see it when you're on stage. I can see it in your posts. I mean, everything you do is from this place of leadership and creating better, not only for yourself, but those around you. But you didn't always feel like you belonged. That sense of leadership was part of you, but you didn't necessarily feel like you were in an environment where you can let it shine. Why was that? Oh my gosh. Even I think probably these are the first years that I can say I'm a leader. It was so weird to call myself a leader. And there are two two facets to that perspective. So one, growing up, leadership was almost something that terrified you. Someone who was in a leader who was in a leadership position, you know, I go back to my days as a refugee when uh you know, when they were harming refugees and uh, soldiers would break windows uh, where we were sleeping because they wanted more money because they knew refugees. So this authoritarian figure was something I was terrified of. It didn't always 
show me that it's people who inspire others to do better, be better and create a better environment. So first it was something I didn't even want to be associated with because I hadn't seen a positive side to it. But then I also go back to, you know, being a refugee and also even restarting my life here in Canada as an immigrant, you don't speak the language, you don't have the same, you don't practice the same culture, et cetera, et cetera. And you've lost so much in your life that you start underestimating yourself. Mm-hmm. So for so long, I felt that in order to be a leader is almost like the traditional sense, like you needed to have a PhD and be world renowned, et cetera, et cetera. But I hadn't understood that leadership is something that's within you. When you make the decision to go and inspire others, create change, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was something that is given to you when people acknowledge you as a leader. That's what was sort of being perceived, but it's not really true. It's the leadership, you feel it within you when they say, hey, who wants to be the captain of the soccer team? You're like, actually, I will. (laughs) That in itself, you are a leader. And then belonging was also really hard for me because after war and genocide, I was always trying to fit in. I was out of my element. Everything was always new. And I just wanted to fit in so that everybody could accept me And if I was accepted, I would find peace and happiness. Mm -hmm. So the idea of letting myself shine as who I truly am wasn't always the case because I just wanted to fit in. Instead of shining who I am and all the things that make me different. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I I, I made myself quiet for so long that I that it took forever to go find myself deep down there and say, actually, I'm kind of different. And that's what's beautiful about me. So all these things, you know, trying to fit in, not always having all the resources that I could have wished, you know, as an immigrant kid, my first pageant, I was wearing Walmart shoes. Well, everybody else was wearing thousand dollar shoes. They're $19.99 from Walmart. So I think a part of you feels like you're not good enough or you don't have it yet, or everybody else is advanced than you, or it's not your culture, it's not your place. So I didn't often feel like I belong. And then even when I started Elevate, here I am as a 30 plus year old lady who is who, who was an immigrant, well, now I'm a Canadian citizen, but who was an immigrant, who was a refugee. So sometimes when I went to people and say, I would like for us to change gender diversity in senior leadership, they found it so weird because for them, my philanthropic side, they automatically assumed that, you know, as an immigrant, maybe I was raising funds for immigrant women. As a Black young lady, maybe I was raising funds for poor girls in Africa. But the idea that I wanted to tackle leadership at the senior leadership level, it was just so strange and foreign to people. So it took me a while to stand in my ground and say, actually, no, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to change. And that's where I'm going to be. So belonging is something that I'm finding because eventually I realized that belonging is in our purpose, in our passion, and in our given rights to just be who we, who we truly are. So do you think that 
you are indeed finding belonging or do you think that you're creating it for yourself? Oh, definitely creating it. Mm -hmm. I think that if you wait for people to help you find belonging or to find belonging in other things, other people, other places, oh my gosh, it's going to be a lifetime mission of misery. (laughs) Really, because nothing external can never bring you what you deserve within. So you create it. For me, it was creating that belonging and saying, where do I genuinely belong? And it went back to what am I passionate about? What makes me happy? What am I good at? And for even when I'm starting to feel challenges along the way, I go back to those things. I go back to what's within me. Where do I genuinely, when I do something, I genuinely feel like I'm happy like I'm contributing. And no matter what anybody say, I'm still going to feel good about the decisions I've made and the work that I've done. That's where I belong. It's that emotion internally. And funny enough, once I started creating that space of belonging for myself, the right people came along. Mm-hmm. And you know, now I always go back and I'm like, I don't remember the last time that I actually had a conflict with someone or had a major, right? Challenges will always be there. Yes. But because I started creating that space for myself, then people came in a, in a space that, that was real and that was comfortable for me. So I didn't have to change who I am to try and create this facade or try to do things that were uncomfortable because I had created belonging for myself. I love that. And I'm so glad that you did because you are igniting change in a major way. You've raised over $2 million for UNICEF. You've made history when you became the first Miss New Brunswick to win Miss Canada and the first black woman to hold such a title among all pageants in the country. And as if that wasn't enough, you're committed to empowering the next generation of women and girls across the globe to step into their own leadership positions through the work that you do with Elevate International. What about this work is so important to you? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, my work with UNICEF, you know, I, I, I often say that I thank my pageant life because when I send them that email and say, actually, I think I happen to be Miss Canada and they said to choose a platform and you're the one organization that gave me a tent when I was a refugee and I would love to volunteer for you, they said, oh my gosh, like, let's do more. So I think <laughs> that in itself saved me for a long time. Honestly, being a UNICEF ambassador saved me for a very long time because it took this pain that I had feeling for so long of being a refugee and also knowing that I had left so many people behind who were living in very unfortunate circumstances. It took a lot of my chest of pain and sort of turning into this action of helping more people. So I'm forever grateful to UNICEF for that. But along the way, as you know, I built this life that, that, that I've worked so hard to obtain, you know, one of the things was building a family and I married this very kind, handsome man and we started building a family and, you know, long story short, eventually I'd be one in 2 million to be pregnant with identical triplets, which in itself, you know, I always remember when they announced it in a, uh, in an ultrasound and I was laughing so hard. I think they really needed to call a doctor asking if I'm really okay. Like I laughed so hard. I said, how is that even possible? One in 2 million people. 
and I get to be that one in two million with identical triplets in the same placenta. How is that even like real? But that journey in itself really showed me, obviously, the power and the fragility of a woman's life. We bring, we, we sort of, we create life, but at the same time, our own life is also very fragile and it's, it's really a, a blessing. It, it's a miracle, really, what we do. I'm, I'm quite amazed. But I thought about the millions of women that die every year through giving birth. Mm-hmm. I thought about the millions of women that have to walk just to go to the hospital so someone can check if their pregnancy is okay. And as my pregnancy advanced, you know, I was seeing so many specialists, thank goodness for Canada and, and our beautiful healthcare plan. I was seeing so many specialists that at one point I was having an ultrasound every three weeks. And then at some point I was having an ultrasound every two weeks. And then it went to every week. And then it went to every few hours. Whoa. Yeah. And then I thought, what would have happened if I had been that woman in 1994 in the middle of a refugee camp who's not seeing a doctor and is pregnant with triplets? Because at any given moment, my life and those three babies' lives could have ended. So while I was pregnant, I really thought that I wanted to do more for babies, maternal, newborn, and generally women around the world. I genuinely knew I was committed to do something more for women. Fast forward, the, our children are born and it's a miracle, you, you know, having three babies born in less than five minutes in itself. You, less than five minutes? I not, I do not kid you. Three babies in less than five minutes, like baby Wait. A, baby B, and baby C. Congratulations, you're a mom of three. Like We that's can't even finish a coffee in five minutes. <laughs> So it totally changed everything for me. And it was the best moment of my life. But then a few weeks later, we go through this tragedy of losing one of the children. And I thought, my life is over. Like, I literally thought I died in that moment. And through that, I just thought, is this really my life? Do I go from being extremely happy to being extremely sad, not even like mildly sad, like life-changing sad, like I want to die sad. Mm -hmm. And he brought me back to, I'm an 11-year-old who's genuinely happy and my world falls apart in a way that threatening my life. And now I go on to build my life again and I'm extremely happy and my life falls apart. And I said, there's no way that my life is going to be a sum of painful moments. And I need to change that. And one of the reasons was because I was already mad that I will have to figure out how to live with this pain for the rest of my life. But not only that, not just live with this pain, I needed to be healthy and fully functional because now I still had two more kids, premature babies, who needed their mom in a very healthy way to take Mm -hmm. care of them. So now I felt like it was even more work. And as I went through that process, I genuinely felt that I wanted to create a better world because I was one of those fortunate moms who got to say goodbye to their child. My baby got to take her last breath in my arms, 
it's a gift. But then I thought about the millions of women who never have that opportunity. How can you even live with that pain when you never got to say goodbye, to have closure, and to even know that there were people who were fighting for the survival of your child? So A, I wanted to dedicate my life to doing something of purpose, something of meaning, because the idea of doing meaningless things no longer just even, I never, I didn't even care for those things at all. I wanted to live a life of meaning so that I can personally be happy and bring that happiness in for my children and that love. Because I, the idea that I was just going to wait to say, you know, I'm alive because of my children was unfair. I needed to be alive for myself so that I can genuinely give that love and happiness back in a meaningful and authentic way. And then number two, as I thought about how I wanted to help more women in this world, I felt that the world goes through so many problems and women and girls are the ones that suffer the most, but yet they're not sitting at the leadership table. And I thought, oh my gosh, Solange, you're going so far into this because one minute you want to raise funds for maternal and newborn and help more women have healthy babies and stay alive. And now you're talking about leadership. But really, <laughs> if you go to the bottom of something, if you dig deeper, you realize you can raise funds all you want. And I'm going to continue raising funds because the need is, is real and it's urgent today. But we have to change the system. And how can you advocate for someone who's not sitting at the table? How can you come and say, I want more for girls and I want more for women when women and girls are not part of those conversations? Mm -hmm. So I knew then that the solution is leadership. We want more women and girls to be amongst the leaders of our society, making the decisions that affect us all so that we can all make the world better for everyone. And that's really how Elevate International started. My gosh, thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. Thank you. I, it, it's hard, but at the same time, I also find it healing because it reminds us all that through difficult circumstances, we have an opportunity to build something better and to create a better world for ourselves. Mm. What advice would you give for someone who's listening, who has that desire to build something better, to create something bigger than them for long lasting change, but doesn't know where to start? Oh my gosh, go for it. Get started. It sounds so cliche and you hear it all the time. But honestly, once you know, you genuinely know this is what I want to do, go for it. People look at Elevate now, and I always go back to last March, we had 600 people on Parliament Hill in Canada, like here in Canada, in Ottawa, 600 people. And we had leaders who had come in from all over the place. And I even remember the right honorable Mikhail Jean calling me president and CEO. And I, it felt so strange because I look up to her so much. But people forget that along the way, once I decided that Elevate was a thing and I wanted to build this organization, I worked two jobs. I had three children under three. And on top of it, my first conference, it was about less than 10 women gave me $150. And I hosted the conference, less than 10 women gave me $150. And I hosted a conference on parliament and invited all the MPs and all the women in, 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 in the city. 
And that's how the conference started. I had a budget that was less than 7,000. Actually, I don't even think I got to 7,000. And that was my first conference. And I remember so many people saying, oh my gosh, what is 7,000 going to do for you? Like, you know, you can't even create, like give people muffins for that. <laughs> and I remember calling parliament catering and I said, listen, I have this amount of people and this is my budget, cut the muffins in four pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds so bizarre, but I knew that no matter what you tell me, I'm not going to give this up. And I also knew that it's not up to somebody to make it happen for me. It was up to me to make it work. So you find a solution. The minute you realize this is my dream, do what you need to do to make it happen. If you yourself think that somebody else is going to make it happen for you, then you're going to fall into that sort of pity me syndrome. Mm -hmm. But when you decide to take ownership of it and see it through, instead of sort of dwelling on the things that are happening to you, you just focus on what's happening for you and you just keep going. That is the best advice I can give anybody who wants to reinvent themselves, start something new, or who even has a big dream that feels impossible right now. I love it. There you have it, folks. Make it happen. Just get started. Solange, you are the CEO of your own company. You're a philanthropist. You're Miss World Canada 2021. What is next for you? Well, now I have to get ready for Mrs. World. So it's going to be in Sri Lanka. So preparing for that, I've decided to dedicate this title to Elevate Girls. So I'm going to raise funds to give more sanitary napkins to girls around the world because uh, there's a lot of girls missing school right now because when they have their periods, they don't even have any sanitary napkins. So that journey, I'm dedicating it to girls. And then, of course, I have my own podcast coming, which I've been terrified to create, and, but I'm so excited to share because it's all about love, resilience, and belonging. Oh, and we have just scratched the surface today. I am so excited for that podcast to come out. Where can people follow you to learn more? Well, everything, when you go with Miss Solange, you'll find me. Three S's in, in between. Miss Solange, you'll find me. Of course, elevateinternational.ca and my own website, misssolange.com. Wonderful. Solange, thank you once again for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.